Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 100. Yes, we have made it, fellas. This is Tone the Slab pitching with David Cohn. 100 episodes strong here on Tone the Slab with John Boy Media. We talk pitching each and every week. It's the five-time World Series champ, David Cohn, the research ace, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, our awesome producer, Dan Work. He's been with us for all 100 episodes as well. Uh, Dan's... Uh, He's not happy because of what didn't happen at the trade deadline with his New York Yankees. And that's one of many storylines around the league after the deadline passed on Tuesday. And guys, I don't know about you, but to me, Tuesday specifically, like the big day where you're up against the clock, it kind of lacked some juice, in my opinion. Like most of the names that we suspected to get dealt, they were traded, but there were no true blockbusters. I guess the, the, like the closest thing was Justin Verlander being traded, but really wowed me i was wondering how you guys felt about it yeah expanded this is the second year of the expanded format on postseason teams more teams that are are in the hunt and it, it impacted everything and it, it impacted the chicago cubs chicago cubs had two of the best players out there that everybody talked about for weeks marcus stroman clay bellinger or or, or um you know, the belly Bellinger rather. And yeah, uh, Cody, yeah. Cody, Cody Bellinger, his father, Clay, um, you know, and it didn't happen. They, they think they're in it all of a sudden, a little six or seven game win streak and just puts them right back in the thick of things. They change direction. And that that's what you're faced with. And it's almost like July 31st, isn't enough time. It's like these, these guys need a couple more weeks just to, to ascertain whether they're in it or out of it. And the Cubs are in it. And that changed everything. Bellinger, I think is, would have been the the one true game changer as far as an offensive player would go. And he ends up staying put. And now you look at it, the Cubs, all of a sudden they go into ad mode and get Jamer Candelario, who's a nice pickup who might end up being the best impact bat, which, you know, he's a good player and all, but it's not the most, uh, it's not the sexiest list of deadline deals here, but all of a sudden they go into ad mode. And now you say, well, now they can maybe make a run in the NL Central against the Reds and Brewers. There were some interesting pitching trades. And the so the teams that are really out of it, because of the, the expanded playoffs and more wild cards, there are more teams in it. So there's fewer teams that are truly, truly out of it. Well, you had a couple of surprising teams that were out of it, the Mets and the Cardinals deciding to sell. They actually have some players. The Cards had a couple of rental pitchers to, to trade away. Uh, in their rotation with Montgomery and Flaherty, Jordan Hicks in the bullpen, and then the Mets making the the two uh, future Hall of Famers uh, available. But that was a little bit of a unique situation uh, over in Queens. But there were some interesting pitching moves, but nothing too spectacular. And you know that's why you know, we'll get into it later with the Yankees. But I also think that there wasn't a whole lot for team for some teams to do. Yeah, there are a lot of pitchers on the move, but a lot of the names that we suspected were going to be on the move. But as the day was going on, I guess looking at the the couple of trades that the Mets pulled off with Verlander and Scherzer, and we're going to touch on that deeper in, in a few moments. But like the return value for some of the pitchers that were dealt, I was you know waiting for some big moves to happen, some electricity. And I thought perhaps the return value that we were seeing on some of these pitching trades would maybe pick the interest of teams – being willing to listen on pitchers that we were not hearing about as the day moved along. Obviously, that didn't happen. So, yeah, I think it really lacked juice. Trade deadline day specifically. Nothing really uh, caught your attention 
as uh, the clock struck 6 p.m. Eastern time. So we're going to get into the day that was some of the big contenders now. They've loaded up. Some others may maybe didn't. And, you know, maybe they didn't leave doubt uh, for some of the special seasons that we're having. We're going to cover it all. But let's start off with the opener here for episode number 100. David, what do you have for us? Well, all good points, guys. I mean, the, there's not enough bats. Pitching's still ahead of the game, right? There's more pitching than there are hitters. Nobody could find a real good bat out there. It was a shortage of bats, but it's sort of the return of the hired gun. You know, that's what I'm thinking of, you know, and that was a big deal back in my day was, uh, you know, I was traded a few times in, in, around this time and there's a lot of pressure being the hired gun. And now they're in Texas. When you think about two teammates and now split the baby and they're both in Texas in the same division, it creates a really interesting hired, hired gun narrative. When you think about Justin Verlander now back with Houston and then Max Scherzer, uh, with, with the Rangers, are they going to face each other? Uh, you know, how's this going to play out? There is so much pressure when you when you're dropped into a clubhouse like that, and you feel that responsibility. I think both of those guys are veteran guys. Probably easier for Verlander because it's a familiar clubhouse. For Max Scherzer, though, he is the higher gun. Dropped onto the Rangers, they expect a lot. They're an organization on the move. Uh, they have tremendous resources. Have a new ballpark down there. I'm really interested to see how Max Scherzer. Uh, Kind of, kind of uh, picks it up a notch and, and gets a little extra juice. Uh, and there's nothing like it, you know the the accountability that you feel, the the adrenaline rush that you feel when you're dropped into a new clubhouse and you're expected to be the number one starter. Max Scherzer is the hired gun now. I think with their moves, the Astros and the Rangers stole all the focus away from some of the other races around the league. People are just going to be zeroing in on that division race for the next two months. And right now, the day after the trade deadline, only a half game separates those two teams in the American League West. So as we move along here, on the day that they reacquire Justin Verlander, we also saw the Astros get a no-hitter from Framber Valdez. And he, he did it in impressive fashion. 93 pitches, just one walk separating him from perfection. But Framber Valdez, he throws the 16th no-hitter in Astros franchise history. So the Astros get a no-hitter. They reacquire Justin Verlander. We see that happening all in one day. And then if you compare it to the Mets, right, on a day that they complete their sell-off toward a disappointing season, largest payroll in history, they also lose to the Royals on a balk-off, a walk-off balk in the extra innings. Guys, which team's day will end up being more historic? Well, I, I, you know, I mean, it is remarkable when you think about the Mets and then losing a game like that, that way on that particular day and the unbelievable sell-off like we've never seen in the history of the game where the uh, Major League Baseball teams run like a hedge fund with dead money and you're, you're going to move on and, and just pivot on a dime. So that that's, that's something that's going to be remembered for a long time. I, I think just the pivot – and the ownership uh, difference that we see uh, that we've never seen before, how a team is being run. But nonetheless, I think Framber Valdez got himself right squarely in the middle of the Cy Young Award uh, race you know, with that no hitter that he threw. And it served notice too on the rest of the league. You know, now we got Verlander back, you know, the, the one, two punch of Valdez and, and, and uh, Verlander are, are going to be formidable. That puts the, uh, the Astros right back in the, in the lead in terms of, you know, favorites to win not only the division but the World Series and getting into postseason, but then also a, a Cy Young Award winner, Framber Valdez, Garrett Cole, Nathan Avaldi, uh, 
Kevin Gosman. It, it, it's shaping up to be a pretty interesting Cy Young Award, award uh, race in the American League. You know, there have been a lot of different kinds of pitchers to throw a no-hitter. And, Coney, you've talked about how a lot of it can be random. But as nice as it is when a real out-of-nowhere unheralded guy like th- pitches one, it's it's really fun to see one of the best pitchers in the game on top of his game just dominating. And Framber Valdez and watching, obviously we had our Yankee game last night, but watching it again after Valdez's game, you see he is so on point with that curveball, time in, time out. And he's durable. He's everything you want in a frontline starter. And you talk about pitch efficiency. He pitches the no-hitter on 93 pitches. And, guys, that is the fewest in a no-hitter since David Cohn had his 88-pitch perfect game, 88, on Yogi Berra Day back in 1999 in the Perfecto. So, Framber Valdez not much else you could say about him other than he's one of the best in the game. Yeah, I have to move my mic out of the way really quick. I'm rocking my Baseball Today t-shirt out of love for our Chris Rose because he had the the tweet of the day, really. Same day that the Astros reacquire Verlander, he tweeted out something before the game where the Astros were playing his Guardians. And I'm paraphrasing here, but hey, it would be so appropriate that you know the Astros are going to be throwing a no-hitter tonight. And it happens. <laughs> Robert yes. Valdez throws the no-hitter. So I really feel like, hey, if the Astros go on to win a World Series again, this year, this day will live in lore forever. And and it's definitely a day you point back to along the 2023 timeline. But I, I feel like the Mets day is going to be more historic. I mean, Verlander traded back to Houston. They're paying 35 million bucks of Verlander's salary for this season and next season. The Mets will be on the hook for half of his salary in 2025 if this vesting option is triggered as well. So they're doing all that. They did something similar with Max Scherzer's deal to the Rangers to essentially buy top prospects. It's, I don't want to say changing the game because there are not too many teams who can follow this blueprint here, but it's not the most conventional way to build up a farm system. That's the end goal for a team like the Mets. And ironically, it's probably an approach that only one team can afford to take. So I think it's a, a much historic day uh, for for the Mets here. Um, I do need to say this, though, and I'm not trying to throw a shade here at Max Scherzer, but guys, I think the day was perhaps made worse for the Mets because Max Scherzer essentially exposed the organization when he went to Ken Rosenthal to talk about their plans for uh, next year, right after he was traded. And and for a guy as great as Max Scherzer has been, look, he's part of the reason why the Mets are in the situation they are. He's part of the reason why they're buried in the standings. He's underachieved this year, and he was paid handsomely. So they trade him to a legit title contender here, and he aired out the Mets' business to Ken Rosenthal. So I didn't think that was a good look for him. They traded him to a first-place team. Yeah, he had a consent here, but it's not like he was going back to Washington or back to Colorado because this was a season that didn't come to fruition for the Mets. He's part of the reason why he underachieved. He was paid a boatload, and then he sort of aired out, not dirty laundry, but he he aired out things that probably shouldn't be talked about publicly. Is it that bad? I mean, he look, he, he came out, and the report was that Basically, he was told that the franchise is going to be shifting direction a little bit and that they now foresee, you know, they're not going to contend until 
2025 or 2026, which is really alarming to me. And if I was a Mets fan, I'd be through the roof right now where, oh, we have this new day, a new dawn of, of leadership in Queens. And all of a sudden, after one terrible half season, we're going to pivot and do a whole teardown. I, I think I don't think there was much wrong with, OK, you could say maybe Scherzer, is he speaking out of school by saying what he was That's told by saying. Billy Apple? That's all but I'm saying. At the He's same speaking time, out of school. It's not sure. Max Scherzer underachieved. He's been a league average pitcher instead of the the big ace he's always been. But at the same time, he's not the one that's going to make them tear down the rest of the franchise for the next couple of years and tank. Yeah, I mean, he basically just said verbatim when Billy Epler told him. And so, yeah, I guess you could say, wow. You know, maybe that was better left behind closed doors. But let me Max Scherzer's a militant. You know, he's a union union rep. Uh, he, he is very vocal on the front lines of the last CBA collective bargaining agreement. So that doesn't surprise me. And I, I'm, I'm not sure his intent was, was to, to trash the Mets. I think he was just being matter of fact, Hey, this is what I was told. Uh, and I think even towards the end, he, he even sort of said, Hey, I, I was part of the problem too. I, you know, I could have performed better as well, but yeah, I mean, if you're the Mets and you hear that it was kind of obvious, really. I mean, once you start tearing this thing down, then you're building for the future. And it's almost like a concession of we're caught in between here. You know, we have a great young catcher, maybe one of the best young catchers in the game. We have a rookie third baseman. You know, we have some more youth, kind of a youth movement on the way. We need to add to that. We need to go to a, go a different direction here. So, you know, it was a bold decision. It was a pivot on the dime. And, and as, as we said before, you know, Shaq, your point is, is that historically speaking, we've never seen this before a major league baseball team run like a hedge fund and by a very wealthy hedge fund. And uh, that's something that will not be forgotten anytime soon. All right, so what's the bigger story here? Is it the two Texas teams who both loaded up, they look like title contenders, about to battle it out over the last two months for the division? Or is it the two New York teams with the two highest payrolls to begin the season kind of looking like they're helpless at the moment? Which is it? Yeah, I mean, Texas is the center of the universe in baseball right now. The Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros. Houston's trying to, to, to keep their little mini run going down there, a potential dynasty going as well. So, uh, yeah, the, no, I still say the baseball on the field, obviously, is is, is in Texas. But the, the expectations, uh, the battle for the back page in New York, um, the fan bases that are up in arms, there's going to be a lot of noise in New York, no doubt, uh, just because of who these franchises are and the directions they're going. Uh, so I, I would anticipate that lasting throughout the offseason as well. But as far as right now in the immediate future, it's it's all in Texas. It, negativity sells, right? But isn't it more fun to focus on good baseball play, being played and what should be a great division race between two maybe um, burgeoning rivals. You know, they put the Astros in the American League West uh, about a decade ago, and the Astros and Rangers haven't really been good at the same time. They were still in tank mode when the Rangers were, were coming off of their pennants, and then the Astros ascend, the, the Rangers dip back down. But now they're good at the same time. The Astros have not been challenged in the American League West in a long time, and it's their in-state rival, the Rangers. And with the two trades that were made, so now you – you do have Scherzer and Verlander possibly on a collision course. Now, they've played 10 of their 13 games already head-to-head -head this season, and the Astros have gone 6-4. and four. But 
They have one more meeting left. It's a three-game set starting on Labor Day, September 4th, 5th, and 6th in Texas. And maybe then we'll get a Verlander-Scherzer matchup in a race that is still tight. Now, the Astros have not been in first place yet all year. They've been getting up to, oh, two games, and they slip back down. Oh, they're within a game. They slip back down. They're within a half game, but the, the Rangers have been holding serve, and they're they're answering. This is They've lasted in this race a lot longer than I would have thought, and I think you guys would have thought too. A lot of the season, a lot of people have been thinking, well, it's just a matter of time until the, until the Astros surge ahead of Texas. But the Rangers, they, they've shored some things up, and even with some injuries, they couldn't keep this a, a real race. And not only that, like, look, uh, Jonah Heim goes down. They immediately pivot and go pick up another catcher from Pittsburgh and Austin Hedges. So, like, the Rangers are not skipping a beat. They're, they're you know, if, if they have an item pop up on their to-do list, they are checking it off uh, rather quickly here. So, yeah, I think we should all kind of focus on the teams that are on the right path. Celebrate those teams. Celebrate the Astros and the Rangers for the baseball that they're going to be giving us for the last two months or so. We're all in New York locally. James said it. Negativity sells. A lot of people like to rubberneck, watch the car wrecks as they kind of go by. Uh, I'd rather focus on the teams that are on the path for success right now. I think the Astros and the Rangers are the biggest story for sure. Back to more Toe on the Slab in a second. I need to remind you that today's video is sponsored by DraftKings. It is the best place to get yourself closer to the action. DraftKings Sportsbook is offering all new customers $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's right. New customers who bet just $5 are going to get $150 in bonus bets instantly. If you're looking to take a swing at an even bigger payout, DraftKings has got you covered with Same Game Parlays, where you can combine multiple bets from the same game into one big bet. If mobile sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You can still get in on the fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use promo code SLAB. That's S-L-A-B. You can bet five bucks on any wager and get $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Tons of pitchers changed addresses over the last several days which traded pitcher is going to make the most impact with his new team i say max scherzer because he's there's such a great need there and good or bad it could go either way right i mean if he you know i think he picks it up a notch and i think he he's exactly what they need there at the top of their rotation um you know that he can pair with nathan avaldi and give them a good one-two punch that Maybe not as <clears throat> quite in the same category as uh, Framber Valdez and, and Justin Verlander, but still a good matchup. And those those two top two pitchers going at it. But I still say because of the need, because of the situation with the Rangers, that they are on the come. And if you think about building a team for free agency, that you know you talk about the Mets and their failure, the Rangers are a success story. The the only pick they've had that that's kind of uh, gone the other way was Jacob Degrom because he had to have Tommy John surgery, but every time, every guy they signed has been very productive. has been Johnny on the spot, whether it was Marcus Simeon or, or Sager Seager playing shortstop. I mean, every move they've made has coincided with some young guys coming up and, and filling in the bill too. I mean, uh, young and third base might be one of the rookie of the year candidates. They've just had the, the perfect storm going into Texas. Every decision they've made has been good. Jacob DeGrom, notwithstanding. Now you've got, Max Scherzer, 
for a year and a half to sort of coincide with the time when Jacob DeGrom actually comes back from, from Tommy John surgery. Max Scherzer's contract will be up. It's a good pick. I'm going to go with Justin Verlander with Houston. I know we were just talking about this ALS, ALS race and these two guys, but I think Verlander's been pitching better uh, recently. And as far as shifting World Series odds, if you think the Astros are the team that's really primed to make a run, and then all of a sudden they add Verlander, I think that's a bigger mover of the needle for Houston, shoring up their rotation for the what they think and probably should be a, a real World Series push to repeat, which we have not had since the 98-99-2000 Yankees, Coney. So I think Verlander... He was, I know he, he missed a lot of time and he struggled in his first few starts out of the gate. But then if you look at, I mean, we got to lower the bar to 90 innings because he did, he did miss the first uh, uh, month or two. But with a minimum of 90 innings, Verlander was sixth in the National League in ERA at 3.15. Scherzer, not that he can't correct it, but he was more home run prone and he was more of a league average pitcher, which... I think that might help Texas more than Verlander would help Houston, but I think Verlander could be more of an impact pitcher at the top of Houston's rotation with Fromber. Yeah, for me, it's tough to not pick Verlander along with James here, just from the way, he, I mean, he's been pitching lately. He had a sub two ERA in July and you couple that with the fact like, yeah, he's performing very well recently. You add the fact that the environment he's going to, he's very familiar and comfortable with. So uh, I think it's, not, I think it's a slam dunk in terms of picking Verlander. But if I had to pick another pitcher, because I think, you know, I, th I thought it was Verlander as the easy answer. I'm going to go to Toronto, then picking up Jordan Hicks as their closer. And I know his debut with the Blue Jays didn't really go smoothly on, on Tuesday night, but I thought the Blue Jays acted swiftly once they had to put Jordan Romano uh, on the injured list. For whatever reason, Jordan Hicks was getting rocked in his home ballpark in St. Louis this season. He had much, much better numbers uh, on the road. So maybe the change of scenery, independent race, free agent year, it's going to set him straight. I still think the Blue Jays have a, a decent run in them. At the moment, now there's seven back in the division. I still don't want to rule that out. I know it sounds a bit crazy just based on the way the Orioles and the Rays have been playing, but... I think the Blue Jays have a decent run in them. I think they could contend for the top wildcard spot. I think they could easily finish second in the division, and Hicks could be a factor there. Uh, a lot of the other pitchers on the move, they didn't really impress me. And maybe that brings us to my other point, because how many weeks have we been talking about Shohei Otani's future, right, guys? And yeah, there are the big market players who could trade for him, but there are also those lower market teams, the smaller market teams who are having special seasons who could capitalize there and acquire a pitcher like Otani. Obviously, a pitcher like Otani wasn't available, but I still need to ask the question whether or not the Rays, the Orioles, teams who are having special seasons, did they do enough at the trade deadline? Well, it's a good question. I think the Rays are looking to, to kind of bounce back that their recent struggles are... <clears throat> You know, on the offensive side, uh, would 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 show that, uh, that that they've underachieved a little bit in in recent history, but that they will bounce back. It's it's a fair question when you think about the Rays and uh, you know, do they have, have enough pitching at this point? Even though, uh, you know, when when you look at all the injuries they've had, 
and the way they've been able to, to manipulate their bullpen and find pieces that continue to, 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 to surprise, uh, you know, I don't underestimate the Rays, but I wonder if they if they have enough at this point. I like the Aaron Savali pickup from Cleveland for them. I am looking a bit askance at the Orioles. I know there was a last second it's with about 10 minutes left before the deadline. There were some reports that they, there was, you know, movement on a possible Dylan Cease trade, which would have been a big swing uh, for me. And I know we've talked in recent weeks about how they have so many you know, high-end top 100 type prospects that they could deal a couple away and still have plenty left over. That didn't come around. I think even with the Orioles, even if they went out and just got a, a more of a mediocre innings eater type, like a Lance Lynn, that could at least stabilize the back of the rotation because you have your young pitchers that are coming up on their career highs and in innings, just somebody just to, to tread water with, to, to kind of shore up the back of the rotation. Not that you even really needed to make a splash. I think that would have been great, but even failing to do that, I think a little bit of a depth sort of addition could have, could have helped them too. And they didn't do that either. So I do think that the Orioles missed a chance there, but I do think that their team is good enough to make a run, but when you have a team that overachieved and has kind of pushed themselves into this race, you want the front office to really give them a push and say, okay, we see what you've done in the first half. Now let's put you over the top. Now I've long felt leading up to this trade deadline, there've been uh, impact makers and stabilizers. So I think the Rays did more than the Orioles. I felt all Tampa Bay had to do with its pitching staff was, was stabilize it. And they, they, very well could have done that with just getting Aaron Savali. Uh, I felt like Baltimore needed impact in the rotation during this special season. You mentioned Dylan Cease. If they were able to do that, that you know, that could have changed the narrative. They pick up Jack Flaherty from the Cardinals with like 15 minutes to go uh, from the date from until the trade deadline. They had been linked, according to reports, to a Verlander type. Uh, but but again, the pool of difference makers, those impact pitchers it was it was pretty shallow so i think the rays did more than baltimore i I don't know if either did enough per se but i think the rays actually did more than than baltimore these these aren't guaranteed yeah you have a pool of prospects that have shown so much promise you're having a special season right now you're in first place we do not know what will happen tomorrow we could point to our own club in new york right i mean the window looked really wide open in 2017, and there was some sustained success there. But sometimes it doesn't pan out the way you think because of your process. So uh, I would have liked to see the Orioles do a bit more here at, at this trade deadline. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with James. Maybe another piece. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how you know Flaherty does there from the Cardinals and, and how he does in the ballpark there with the big wall in left field. Maybe maybe he he thrives there. It's a good pit, good place to pitch now. All of a sudden, Camden Yards. Um, but with that being said, they have the number one prospect. And if you look at what Houston gave up to get Verlander, their number one and their number four, there's no way the Orioles could give up Jackson Holiday. He's that good. It's the number one prospect in all of baseball. He's 19 years old. Plays shortstop. Probably going to stay at shortstop. Can also move around. Anybody can play shortstop. You can move him around anywhere. I mean, that's a theory with, with shortstops in the minor leagues, develop them. They're easier to move because that's a premium position. But Jackson Holiday, he's 19 years old in double A and already tearing it up. He ain't going nowhere. And, and if you look at the curve of the Orioles, they're way ahead of schedule. Do you mortgage the future now 
because we have a chance right now, or do we just stay the course? That was a tough decision. You know, I, I feel for them there, especially with their farm system, especially, you know, everybody was asking for Jackson holiday and there's no way you can give him up. There's just no possible way. He's that good potentially. And uh, yeah, we'll see how Flaherty does, but you're right, James, they, they need some more depth there and where they find it. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And just that, okay. Holiday is untouchable and they've, you know, and Grayson Rodriguez and certain guys that they've had, you know, some of the best prospects in all of baseball. But then as far as there are guys in the middle or the back end of the top 100 that have gotten trade that were in some of these trades, whether it's Acuna uh, for Scherzer or the, or in the Verlander trade that you say, okay, well, yeah, this guy might be Houston's top prospect, but he would only be the Orioles' fifth best prospect or something like that. So I think they had a bit of a surplus that that you could have dealt from. Yeah, I think there were inning eaters at the very least to be had for for, for Baltimore. Um, we've focused a lot on some of these American League teams. Let's go to the National League really quick. Uh, something interesting happened. The Dodgers seemed like they had a deal in place for Eduardo Rodriguez with the Tigers. He nixed the deal, invoked his no-trade clause, as is his right and no deal was done there. So they the Dodgers do make a couple additions ahead of the deadline with, with Lance Lynn, with Joe Kelly. What is next, though, for the rotation uh, going forward here over the final two months? They were looked at as a team that could have used an impact pitcher or stabilizers. They get some arms to sort of stabilize the staff. Is it going to be enough? Well, yeah, the question is the innings limits on their young guys, you know, guys like Bobby Miller, how far can you push them in postseason? And then, of course, Clayton Kershaw, his health coming back. He seems to be in good shape. He's going to come back. Maybe that's just perfect for him that he was able to kind of recharge and save some innings and save some bullets for, for postseason. But it really it centers around Clark Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw is the guy um, still looking for a defining moment in his career in postseason. So stay tuned there. Do they have enough? I, it's a big question. Why? Why Rodriguez would not want to go to the Dodgers, I'm not sure. You'd have to be in there. Was it a, a leverage play trying to parlay it into maybe a, you know, the, some sort of compensation or some sort of concession on the Dodgers' part? Not sure. Was it really just lifestyle? He did. He wants to stay on the East Coast, closer to his family, as it has been reported. But turning down the Dodgers? Well, you're a left-handed starter. You, you could have pitched in postseason right there. You had a chance to go maybe to the World Series and pitch in, in, at Dodger Stadium with that uniform on. Well, that, that that's a questionable decision that only he can answer. Well, we'll see. I guess jumping into a pennant race could help or hurt your value if you plan on opting out. Maybe he doesn't like the Dodgers. Maybe, you know, players put – they have, you know, blanket no-trade clauses that they can nix any kind of trade, certain – Players have clauses where they could only nix a trade to these five teams or these eight teams. So I guess maybe in the coming days, we'll find out a little more trickling through about what that whole process was. But as far as the Dodgers rotation goes, I, I did not realize just how bad things had gotten in recent weeks at, with their starting pitching. They had a 6.18 ERA in July for their starting rotation for the season, the Dodgers, the Dodgers who have had good starting pitching for pretty much as long as I can remember, they have a 4.75 starting pitcher ERA this year. That's the sixth worst in major league baseball. And it's their worst starting pitcher ERA since 1944. And some of it is you can chalk it up to injuries, but then there's the case of Julio Arias, who's, a 26-year-old in his prime who's been one of the best starting pitchers in baseball for the last couple of years, 
He has a 4.98 ERA out of nowhere. So there are certain things that you can plan for and you, you know, if a missed opportunity to build contingencies, but then other times your ace is suddenly a five ERA guy that's inexplicable. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, for me, last two months, like just find a way to win the division. All the numbers aside, right there, like yeah, that that rotation, that, that ERA is shocking. It really is. Uh, find a way. They got Lance Lynn. They brought in Ryan Yarbrough. I kind of like that again. Innings theaters who who are proven. They have you know proven track records. Uh, are they going to be enough to to stabilize this pitching staff? For me and the Dodgers, just just get in the postseason. I have faith in pitchers like Urias correcting himself on the brightest stages Kershaw obviously there and then some of the young guns if they can just get into uh you know get that division and focus on the postseason I I think it'll all be there uh for them to have as good of a chance as as any team in, in the National League um Obviously, the Mets didn't have a chance in the National League especially after their sell-off uh we saw what happened with the Yankees, or maybe we didn't see what happened with the Yankees. Plenty to go. Uh, a lot of ways, I guess we could say that we can go with this gentleman uh, because there was no statement made by the Yankees uh, at the trade deadline. They didn't buy. They didn't sell. I think they didn't feel that they could address their core needs with what was actually available. Again, we touched on it earlier. A lot of teams were not in sell mode. The Cubs decided to go for it. The Padres seemingly decided to go for it, but it left the Yankees kind of looking like they had no plan. They still don't have a conventional starting left fielder. And whomever they added, yes, it wasn't not going to cure Anthony Rizzo or Giancarlo Stanton. But for me, that doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't act one way or another. So what now with the New York Yankees? Yeah, it, there, there just wasn't a bat out there. There weren't there weren't enough offensive players out there, especially outfielders, to to be had. You know, the one guy, as we said before, was Bellinger, and he he was not available. So you really got to push it to the offseason. The Yankees feel like, you know, you know, we've got a couple of left-handed bats that are that were uh, minor league free agents last year that we that we can like better than what's out there, and that's you know Bowers and McKinney and. You know, what else could have been done? There's just nothing to be d- done there. Their pitching's fine. You get Nestor Cortez back. You added Middleton. You're going to add Loisaga. You know, if the Yankees are going to get anything going here, they're going to have to do it in a run prevention way uh, moving forward. You're going to have to win the two to one, one to nothing, three to two games, four to three games, you know, that we've seen them lose quite a few of, uh, you know, because because of the lack of offense. But that's the only way to it. <clears throat> excuse me it's uh there was nobody to be had i like mark canna i like some of the decent bats that did get moved but they're right-handed uh randall gritchick another above average bat but have they really out hit jake bowers okay there isn't there wasn't really anything to gain 
offensively because a lot of the more pie in the sky sort of things like Otani and Soto and Arenado were, were not realistic, similar to how in the offseason, a lot of people wanted Brian Reynolds, but Pittsburgh signed him long term. That's why it's so hard to make trades work because the people you want aren't available. Okay, so then if they're if you're not buying, then do you sell? That's an obvious question. But at the same time, the Mets traded Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And even with Scherzer having an up and down season, he's still a future Hall of Famer. He's still a guy you trust in a big game. Verlander's pitching very well. You were able to get, you know, a top 100 prospect for both of those guys while eating a lot of the salary. The Yankees rentals, Wandy Peralta could have gotten you something, but there was other there were other useful relievers that got traded at the deadline. What are they? What is that really netting? And Harrison Bader is taking a step back of the plate in recent weeks, and with his injury history. Maybe you couldn't have gotten too much for him anyway. So if you're only three and a half out, is it worth tearing down to punt on the rest of the season if you're not even going to be getting big time prospects back for what you sell? In 2016, you trade Andrew Miller, you trade Aroldis Chapman, you're actually getting prospects back. I don't know if those kinds of rentals really existed on the Yankees. Yeah, just by the inactivity it means that fans need to digest more of what's already happened. And I think that's really tough uh, in a season that was filled with, with a lot of promise, but I guess that's baseball sometimes. Uh, Dan Rourke, let's get you in here, man. Not exactly the ideal trade deadline that I'm sure you envisioned, but when six o'clock strikes, man, like what are you and the fans thinking here? Well, at least as for what I was thinking, I mean, James, I do hear everything that, you're explaining about the trade deadline and there was a lack of especially offensively upgrades to go out and get, but it's less of a trade deadline issue and more of just, you know, over the last two years, what Brian Cashman has done or not done rather. I mean, sure. Cody Bellinger wasn't available. You could have gotten him in the off season. That's the first thing I'll say, but more so what I was looking at is a sense of direction. And we didn't get that yesterday. Brian Cashman. Well, I guess we did in a way. Cause he says, we're obviously in it to win it, but you didn't really exactly show that all essentially you did was, replace Jimmy Cordero, who's been off the roster for about a month with another right-handed reliever who, you know, journeyman, I trust the Yankees might be able to fix him up. That's great. But you're not going all in on this year. You did nothing to improve this team pretty much. And you also didn't send us a message about what's to come in the future either. So you didn't improve the current squad. You didn't improve the future, which leads me as a Yankee fan. And you guys know, like who's watched me or if you guys, you know, just talking to you guys, I lean pretty optimistic. Like it's very hard for me to get down in the dumps about this team, but I'll say this. I am probably at a low point as a fan right now. There's not much, like, if there is, like, a little glimmer of hope, I don't know exactly where it's going to lead. I am the most lost I've been since following this organization for about over 10 years now. Heading into 2024, I don't know what to expect. I mean, I guess I do, actually. Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMahieu on the corner, Giancarlo Stanton will be at DH. And not that you could have traded any of those guys, but there was nothing that said, okay, as bad as it's been, here's a message that it'll get better. And... That's the main thing I'm frustrated about. I don't know. Sure, this year we may not go anywhere. We're only three and a half games out. You're in it, I guess. But that's not what I'm worried about at this point. Because even if you get in, what do you? What exactly are the Yankees doing? Are they won the World Series. For a while, I was saying the American League's wide open. But after this deadline, I'm not exactly sure if that's true. They get in. They're probably not making any noise. So then I turn towards, yeah, 2024. What's going to get better? It might get better. Sign Shohei Otani or if Brian Cashman has something else under his sleeve. Sure. But at least as of right now, what my outlook is, 
don't have all that much hope around the, the current New York Yankees, which is a feeling I am. It's a pretty, pretty new feeling for me to have. So that's what the trade deadline did for me. I'll watch every game. I'm going down with the ship. But yeah, I at least 2016, you knew it was coming. 2016 was honestly fun after the trade deadline. I was depressed for a couple of days, didn't leave the house. Then it hits you like, yo, new young core. You know what the expectations are. You can kind of watch with a little less, you know, a, a more calm temperament and enjoy it. With this, though, Brian Cashman said we're in it to win it. We're going for it this year, but you didn't do anything to show you're going for it this year. So for all those reasons, yeah, I'm a little little lost as a fan and kind of down in the dumps. I won't lie. Well, it just underscores how immensely disappointing three highly compensated veteran star players who've been stars very recently have let the team down. And that's Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, and DJ LeMahieu. And they're immovable. And it's is it even worth, hey, Anthony Rizzo, he was one of the best hitters in the league for the first two months of the season, and then he fell off a cliff. So it's not like you could just say, oh, well, we'll just release him and cut bait and get another first baseman at the deadline. You, you At some point, you have to actually ride it out with these guys, at least in the short term. Yeah, in the short term, definitely. And then a lot of these decisions require more time and more planning, depending on what your strategy is going to be moving forward. And that's going to require an offseason, you know, where you can really take a hard look at, you know, biting the bullet and making some unpopular or popular moves or very difficult moves. Or does does what Steve Cohen and the Mets, what he did, does that change the equation a little bit in terms of his willingness to to eat all that money? I mean, is he is he an island by himself? Does that impact other owners? I mean, we'll we'll see what happens in the offseason. But the Yankees just were paralyzed at, at, at this trade deadline. There was no bat to bring in to help them. There was no other maneuvers that could have changed the complexion of the team. Uh, it's going to require an offseason of, of big-time creativity on Brian Cashman and the Yankees' part. We'll see what that holds. But for now, it's keep on keeping on and hope that you could win some close games. Hope that those guys that, that James mentioned kind of get a little bit going here and turn it around and just get somewhere close to their average. We're not looking for off the charts production. You're just looking for get close to your bubble gum card. Turn over the back of your bubble gum card. What's your average? Let's see how close you can get just to your average production. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of these uh, postmortems after the deadline and how broken the Yankees are, how something's wrong with how they've done things over these last few years. I mean, they've made the playoffs six years in a row and they've run into fellow 100 win teams. And I just don't see how there's all these little narratives that come around that are trying to explain, Oh, well, here's why we knew they were frauds all along or something like that, which I don't really buy. And even looking at, you know, one of the popular things to say about the Yankees is, Oh, all they do is strike out, but they have, been a better than average team at avoiding strikeouts this year. And that hasn't helped. And they've also been better at avoiding strikeouts throughout this run since 2017, when they've been making the playoffs and they've scored a lot of runs and they still didn't win the world series, but it's not because of a philosophy built on striking out. They don't strike out that much compared to other teams and other things like they use too many different lineups. The Yankees used 146 different lineups last year, which sounds like a lot, but that was 17th most in the major leagues. The average MLB team used 145. The average playoff team used 141. There's nothing that the Yankees are doing outside the box that's trying to change uh, the philosophy of baseball or anything. They're just getting beat 
and the established players that they had that helped them win a lot of games in recent years, they have suddenly gotten worse. There isn't a whole lot around to explain that. If it gets worse, though, guys, if this quality of play that we've kind of seen now for close to two months, if it continues, if the Yankees fall further in the wild card standings, anybody that you want to see get playing time that's maybe currently not with the club, maybe in the minors, or just not getting as much run as they potentially could, anybody that you want to see more of? Well, certainly, you know, there's what, 55 games left for the Yankees, I believe, if my math is right somewhere in that neighborhood uh they need to win 35 of those to get to 90 wins so 35 and 20 ish something like that moving down yeah you have judge back you got to kind of roll with it for a while here and and find out if there's there's somebody that can get it going again does rizzo bust down does john carlos stanton have one of those torrid hot stretches that he's known for aaron judge looks like aaron judge he's back he needs some help obviously he's getting pitched around a lot but the obvious answers are, at some point, if this continues, does Peraza get a look somewhere on that infield, whether it's third base, second base, moving them around? Do you want to find out about Peraza? To me, there's no real outfielders down there to, to get a look at. If they wanted to see Esteban Floreal, he would already have been here. Not Pereira? So I think Pereira, at 22 years old, I'm not sure if he's ready yet. Uh, possibly, maybe you want to get a look at him. Do you want to start his clock already at 22 years old? He's just been in AAA a short period of time, and he's done well so far. Uh, what his strikeout rate, swing and miss, is still a little bit high, I think, and what they look at. And you know, Buck Showalter has told us, and I think a lot of people feel this: that the jump has never been bigger from AAA to the big leagues, and it is right now. AAA numbers, buyers beware that they're inflated. What you see in AAA is not translating to the big league level. The pitching, uh, the depth, the overall quality of pitching is much higher in the major leagues and. Than, than in AAA, and the gap is is wider than it's been in a long time, maybe ever. So you, you got really have to be careful with AAA numbers nowadays. But then the second question is, at 22 years old, do you want to start his clock and get a look at him now? I'm not sure that's the answer as of yet. I don't know if it's a September call-up kind of thing, but that is one guy that does really intrigue me. He's only been at AAA for a month. So I don't know if it's a 2023 thing. Maybe it's a 2024 thing instead. But bottom line, Pereira's had a really good season in the minors, hitting 304 overall with the 919 OPS, and he's done a little better since getting to AAA. But at this point, he's only only 19 AAA games under his belt. And as we've seen, you know, the Yankees promoted Anthony Volpe after he'd only had about a month of, of AAA ball, and, and sometimes that's not enough. So I think he's a good name to monitor. And if he is killing it in another month and there's a spot that opens up and you do want to get a little look-see before the end of the year, then fine. But I think it, it's it's a long, it's always a longer clock these days because there's so much coverage on prospects and a lot of fans are interested in these guys and it's great for the game, but you also don't want to rush the clock just because someone's, you know, been a name in the minor leagues for a little, uh, for a few years or something, doesn't mean that they're, fully ready yet yeah i think if it gets a, a little bit worse here uh we'd like to see oswald peraza get a good 40 50 game sample but again they they have still have a chance they owe it to themselves with aaron judge back to really go for it here and try and make some noise again at the time of recording just three and a half games out but um david you mentioned it earlier and we first talked about it right when aaron judge went down in early june like run prevention needs to 
be underscored here for the Yankees. Uh, it just has not happened. Record when they've scored three runs or fewer, 10 and 39. Record when they've scored two runs or fewer, two and 33. So if you do the math there, they've played about 107 games. That's 30, like that's a third of the games that they've played. They've scored two runs or fewer in 2023. Yeah, we've that's seen far, far too many good pitching efforts, you know, squandered without a doubt. Garrett Cole, maybe at the top of the list, his most recent start. You know, seven shutout innings. You got to win those games. You got to, I mean, Garrett Cole's on the mound. It's win day. You're going to get Nestor Cortez back. Your bullpen's going to get deeper. Middleton's now added. Um, it'd be interesting to see what they do with him. Also, Jonathan Loisega added. You know, you got much deeper on that side. So, yeah, that that's the key. That's going to have to reverse course. You have Aaron Judge back now. You got to get the other guys going. But at the same time, all these close games that you you just cited, that's got to reverse. And can the Yankees go 35 and 20, 34 and 21 to get to 88 to 90 wins? That's doable. If, if you know, with Aaron Judge back, it, it's absolutely doable with their pitching staff. Can it be done? It's got to be done now. The way you get to that kind of a record over your last 55 games is to start right now in August. You can't wait till September. You know, it's, it's got to be reversed right now in the month of August. You've got, you need every 10 game block, you know, every 10 games that are played, you need an eight and two. You got to throw in an eight and two and a seven and three, a couple of those in August. And that gets you on pace to, to get close to 90 wins. 90 wins, according to a lot of the projections, might be enough. That might be the number. 80, between 88 and 90 wins might be enough to get you that last wild card spot or certainly into postseason. They've had such stretches this year or coming out of the gate. And then even in that May to June period, right before Aaron Judge got hurt, they had another run that built up around the 4th of July when they won those first couple of games against the Orioles. But they've had 30 and 20 runs, 35 and 22s and things like that just this season. Back when Anthony Rizzo was hitting the way he was, they were getting uh, some quality starting pitching beyond Cole, but they need Rodon to get straightened out. Luis Severino, are they going to be able to hand him the ball every fifth day, the way he's pitching? Getting Cortez back should help, and the bullpen is always good, even though they've hit some hiccups, but even a lot of that has been inflated ERAs based on you know bad mop-up outings and things like that, but the bullpen is still trustworthy. So they've they've played... 600 ball for long stretches this year too we shall see two months to go a relatively quiet trade deadline for the yankees still plenty of intrigue around the club and all the pieces are in place for every other club as we march toward the dog days here and get into these wild card these playoff races it should be an excellent two months remaining especially in texas uh following the trade deadline guys guys 100 episodes in the books. Just want to thank you both. Thank you, Dan Rourke, as well. Uh, it's been so much fun. I, I'm looking forward to the next 100. And I uh, just like coming on here each week and talking ball with y'all. It's it's awesome. A lot of, that's a lot of episodes, 100. That's no mm-hmm. joke. So, yeah, we, we've stood the test of time so far. Thanks, guys. That's going to do it for this episode. Again, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you don't miss a beat on what we're putting out each week on Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. For David Cohn, for James Smythe, and our great producer, Dan Work. this is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody.